This is an Area Code podcast. Empathy feels like I'm trying to imagine what it's like for you. I think compassion says, I'll come alongside you and I'll walk with you through this thing. I think one of the things we tried to do at certain points in our game was just have you be a witness, a person that was coming along with us on the journey. You were almost never playing as Joel. You weren't typically playing as Ryan or I. You were usually an observer somewhere in the, in the situation. Hi, everybody. I'm Richard Clark, and you're listening to Video Game Feelings, a podcast about the way video games can make us feel and the people who make and play them. Today on the show, Amy Green, writer and voice actor for That Dragon Cancer, an immersive narrative video game that retells the story of her son's four-year fight against cancer. She also wrote for a quirky VR mystery that was just released called Area Man Lives. Dragon Cancer was supposed to be a video game about a miracle. When Amy and her husband Ryan started writing and developing the game, the story of their son, Joel, was still ongoing, and their hope was that the story would end with Joel being healed by God himself. Unfortunately, these hopes were dashed when Joel died on March 13th, 2014, and the game's airtight sense of certainty was dashed too. What resulted was a game that burrowed deep into grief. But through that contrast gave us the opportunity to experience the joy of life itself, specifically Joel's life itself. That Dragon Cancer was a landmark game for me in that moment, one that came just at the right time. I had just experienced my dad's death from cancer and my my patience for empty platitudes had completely run out. That Dragon Cancer, though, struck me as one of the most truthful games I'd ever experienced. And that experience, as someone who's right in the middle of grief, made me feel both understood and accepted in the middle of my own doubts. Years later though, it seems like suffering is constant. Grief is a mainstay in our world and empathy is starting to feel so overwhelming that I'm a lot less likely to look to video games for opportunities to experience it than I was back then. And honestly, it has me wondering whether Amy's been feeling some of those same feelings and whether that's affected her view of the game she made all those years ago. What I've personally been playing a lot of is Phase 10. <laughs> Which oh, is just, on your phone? Yeah, I just play so, Phase 10 yeah. all the time on my phone right now. But it has made me feel very empowered. A while back, I... Um, I didn't even read the whole book. I like read this like synopsis of a book that I think was called Tiny Habits. And it talked about how the way we really make big changes in our life is not just by sheer force of motivation, but by tying very achievable goals into our everyday patterns. Yeah. And the example the man gave in the book was that he would do push-ups every time he had to go to the bathroom. And since he had to go to the bathroom on a fairly regular basis, then just doing four or five push-ups, which was achievable, was something he built a lot of into his day. Mm-hmm. So I tried that initially and was like, oh, I can do sit-ups or push-ups. Or... But inevitably, there would be a time when I like really had to go to the bathroom and was tired or was somewhere weird and didn't want to do it. And as soon as I stopped doing it, I never did it. So this is a long story to get to with phase 10. There's these little bonus rounds. And I like earn these little bonuses I can play, but I won't let myself play them until I do my like 
push-ups and sit-ups. Oh, and, that's so smart. And so I love that game. And there's this thing I really want to earn and do, but then I won't let my, I save them up until I like fit in my tiny goals and yeah. then I do them. So even though it is not an emotional game or like there's nothing really built into it, like I feel super empowered when I play it. And like, honestly, because sometimes with games, you can feel sort of ashamed of like, this is just a time waster. And I'm uh -huh. just, I actually now go, no, this is good because it's earning me more bonuses, which is going to lead to me being more like physically active. Just so I've like, yeah, yeah, I've hacked it into a feel good situation, even though it's, it's totally not. Is that the only game you're playing right now in terms of like time waster things? Let's see. I have a couple other little time waster games, but since I've been playing Phase 10, I've played yeah. a lot less of those others. I'm not in right now any like big, cool narrative games that I would like want to be playing because we are so, so busy right now. Yeah. It's just busyness. It's not like you need a break from big narrative things. It's just busyness. Is that the idea? I think it is. Although... Yeah. You know what? I will call myself on that a little bit because uh -huh. I still fit in TV shows here and there. You know yes. what I mean? So yes. so it can't be just that. I do wonder if sometimes as I'm working on games and getting closer to the release of games, I kind of intentionally pull back from other experiences a little bit just to focus on what I'm doing. As I become more self-aware, I've started to realize this about podcasts is like the bottom line is it is work when you're listening to something you make. <laughs> or you're doing, you're consuming something you make, it starts to feel, even if you're not approaching it that way of like giving, thinking, judging it or applying it to what you do, it still does that, it, it slots into that part of your brain where it's like, all right, I'm working now. <laughs> yes, yes. So. I, I hear that a lot from other game developers too, that like yeah. the more you're working on building games, the less you're playing games, especially for fun, which is sort of sad. Which means I need a new first question for game developers, maybe. Maybe. So uh, I wanted to talk to you. Uh, I mean, I think we have to talk about your first game, right? Like sure. we have to talk about that dragon cancer. And even that need to talk about that first game is a little weird. It's got to be weird. Your entire history with games is sort of tied to this cataclysmic traumatic moment in your life where your son basically had cancer and eventually died of cancer. His name was Joel. And I, I played that game and it was a big deal for me too, right? Like it was a big moment. I think I'm, I'm giving all of this preamble to sort of like a give space to just like what all of this <laughs> represents, but also just to acknowledge the sort of inherent weirdness of all right, let's start talking about games. Your son died of cancer. Like that's a weird transition that has to be made. When did you decide making a game about this moment in your life was the right move as opposed to anything else could be done? What inspired that choice? Yes. Oh, this is such a good question. I personally was a little hesitant about mm. us making the choice to make a video game about cancer. Um, yeah. so we were, we were doing those other creative things. Ryan was writing a yeah. lot of poetry. I had a blog I wrote on, we wrote a children's book that looking back was not that fantastic. Um, huh. we, we wrote a short film and we filmed it and afterward we didn't like it and we didn't share it with anyone. I don't even think we shared it with the actors who were in it. 
after we were finished, we were like, Hmm, that was not good. And we just kind of let that, (laughs) let that be. So we were doing some of that other kind of creative self-expression, but there was this, it was like, we really had the title before we had the game. We had the title that dragon cancer, because it was this bedtime story we were telling Mm -hmm. our kids. And we kept talking about it and I kept talking about it like a film, but then I was talking about it like a film with a really intricate DVD menu where you could like skip ahead to certain chapters and then skip back to other chapters. And maybe it would, you could like choose the ending. And like the more we kept talking about this interactive film, the more it became clear that we were talking about a game and my husband was really into it. And I was like, no, no, Mm. no one wants to play this game. We cannot make a game about this. People need to know that this was a time when really no one was playing anything like this. Like, this was not a normal idea. And in fact, when you would say it to people, they would look at you like, not like you were crazy, like you were a bad person. Because who wants to play a game about something like that? It felt like, like they were thinking Peggle or Tetris or something. And it's like, no, that's not appropriate, I think was the typical response at that time. I mean, that's absolutely true that articles would come out about that dragon cancer. And people who clearly would just read the headline, which I am very guilty of myself, yes, always would comment, cancer is not a game. Cancer is not a game. <laughs> and I thought, oh, I get that. That's That was totally what I thought. That was my impression. So Ryan had to, my husband, Ryan, who I developed the game with, had to you know, talk with me quite a bit about like, Amy, like not all games are like fun games. There are these indie games that are like indie film, that they're a little slower. They're a little more contemplative. Like there are games that make you stop and think, and it it would be a game like that. And he kind of had to show me other experiences and talk to me about other things. And even then I was still really skeptical. I was like trying to be supportive of like, yeah, I mean, you could try it, but I was pretty hesitant still. And it was really them taking the first short demo of one scene from That Dragon Cancer to the Game Developers Conference. Huh. The sunset looks pretty from here. The orange glow cast on the wall, better than the muted colors of this hospital. I wonder why they choose blues and greens. (laughs) They, the ones who choose the colors that heal. Green for life. Blue. For comfort, purple stripes to hide the stains. (laughs) This chair is too small and sticks to my skin. I hate vinyl. And he went and I remembered thinking, oh, I just feel so bad for him. He thinks everyone's going to care about this thing he's making and no one is going to care about this game. Uh, I hate this room. I didn't used to. For a, for a moment, it was an adventure. I was cast as the compassionate and caring father, holed up with his fragile son in a small cleft in the rocks. The storm raging, waves ripping at the sharp black rocks below, and enveloped in my arms, he feels safe, and I am holding him firmly trying not to slip because if you hold tight enough nothing will take him right and then he came back and there were articles and press requests and i mean it just it blew up so 
fast in a way that like, I think even now I'm starting to realize how rare it was because, mm. because it was our first big game. It's only in releasing subsequent games that you go, <laughs> oh, the world does not stop and pay attention for you like this. Yeah. And so we never, we never marketed it, right? We never, we never right. took out ads. I think we sent out a press release, but like, we just didn't do anything to try to get press. It all kind of came to us. And so we were able to release it in a way that didn't feel, we never felt like we were promoting the game. Mm -hmm. So that helped. It makes us bad game developers now because we're like, wait, people have to promote games? Like we, right, we kind of right. are a little bit like, oh, it took me some time to come around to the idea. But I think like you said, because I mean, there were a handful of those kind of slow, thoughtful, serious games, but they were more fringe experiences at yeah. the time. And that's become yeah. more and more common now. But I think the fact that people weren't doing it so much is why it got the kind of attention that it did. But you're absolutely right when you say that it's a funny thing to have every conversation start with. And I I never mind it because I love talking about my son, Joel. I love getting to think about that and talk about that and be reminded of him and yeah. and have the opportunity to keep talking about him because sometimes that's what you, you don't get as a parent who's lost a child is a lot of opportunity to kind of keep bringing them up to people. Yeah. But you also get the sense that like, in many ways, people's impressions of us kind of froze in that moment. Like right, they right. think of us and they think of our son and they think of cancer. And I mean, I remember being at um, a film festival uh, where they were showing the documentary about the game and I wanted to go do the photo booth. And Ryan's like, Amy, like that just might come off weird to people. Like, mm. And so Ryan just being aware that like people think of us as grieving parents, even if it's been three years or five years or 10 years, there's the sense that like, you kind of have to be aware that that is how people will always perceive you, even yep. if like your life has continued to, to move forward since then. As I was preparing for this interview, I was thinking a lot about empathy and the nature of empathy, the value of empathy, and maybe the limitations of empathy. And one li obvious limitation in this case is that it stops at where the story ends. It feels like people know you in a very specific time and place and moment in your life and the empathy is not carried through is that is that something that is that you have struggled with actively since then you know i don't know if i actively struggle with it but i'm certainly mm -hmm. aware of it as a studio i think uh, maybe that's part of like this game we're releasing now, Airy Man Lives, is very silly and very funny and and just odd on purpose. And right. and part of that is so important for me because we've gone to meetings where we've pitched like funny, weird ideas for games and they go, oh, that does sound fun. I don't know if you're the people to make it, though. <laughs> um, and so I think you just kind of go, oh, like like we're thought of as a studio that makes a singular type of experience, like a tragically sad, hard to play game. Uh -huh. And I don't want to make that the rest of my life. That's not like what I want to design and create forever after this. And so I think there's a little bit of saying, okay, like let's push that boundary out as far as we can push it for ourselves. And, and I think we want to do more serious games eventually also, but just knowing if we don't find a way to kind of widen that circle of how we're perceived, mm -hmm. then we can only do the one type of experience. And I think that's always a, a funny thing too, that just the people at Numinous Games are, are super just 
funny. They're just funny people who love to have a good time. And and mm. I think that that can be challenging to go, oh, our public image is very different from our private image. Yeah. And and I never like that. Like I'm, I'm the kind of person who like, I'll tell you all my flaws the first day you meet me because I just yeah. want you to know the whole thing. Yeah. So I'll be like, oh, my house is always messy. And they're like, I've never met you. I don't, I've never been to your house. I'll probably never <laughs> go to your house. Fine. And I'm like, <laughs> you should just know everything, you know? And so I think yeah. that's always been kind of a challenging thing to go, oh, like publicly, we're thought of one way, but just personally, we're a little different. And so that's just unsettling in the way that it can be when you want to to just have a very transparent life. This is a hard question, especially considering the, what we're talking about. But is there a part of you that regrets making that move or doing it in that way? I do not regret it now. I had moments where I had some strong doubts about mm. whether this was something we should be doing. And yeah. it comes right back to the question you asked, which is what were we trying to accomplish? And so what's tricky is when we started creating the game, um, we had seen all of these little miracles. We knew Joel was terminal, but he, mm -hmm. he was doing really well and he was responding to treatments he shouldn't. And we were just witnessing such incredible things and we thought he's going to live and it's going to be this amazing, miraculous story. And we want to tell that story. And like, yeah. I mean, just to be totally like putting it all out there, we wanted people to hear this miraculous story and like think about God and faith and life all very, very differently. Yeah. So when Joel died in the middle of making our video game, I personally didn't feel like I had as much reason to still be doing it. And I started right. to think, why are we still doing this? Like if before I thought maybe people would look at this and say, oh, look, God is so good because of this miracle. Now they're going to look at it and go, huh, God's the jerk I thought he was. Like, yeah. and so I was yeah. like, I don't, I don't know. That wasn't necessarily what, what I thought I was trying to do. So there were moments in the middle of making it where I thought, I don't know if we should do this. I don't know if this is right. I'm not sure that we should make this game. Since creating the game, I think everything in our faith has shifted quite a bit. And mm -hmm. I now am so glad that we did not tell a big miracle story of, of <laughs> oh, look at this, look how great it turns out. Because having walked through sorrow and lived on the other side of sorrow, it's become something I'm very critical of about the Christian faith is how much we only want to look at the, the miraculous and the good and the exciting and, and how much we don't recognize that our focus on that really alienates people yeah. who are suffering and who we should be trying to love and like almost puts them in a different class. So there's just a lot that I've reevaluated since then. So now I'm really glad because now I look at it and go, oh, like we wrote about, we wrote a game. I always say wrote because my part is so much the writing part, but we designed a game that just showed what it is to walk through suffering and, and to let people experience that. And now I really, I really value that because we live in a, a wealthy, comfortable society where we mm -hmm. sometimes don't know how to engage with people who are suffering because we haven't experienced much of it. Yeah. That game in its own way is the miracle, right? Like the, when I think about that game and people won't get it until they play it and that's fine. But what I want people to understand is that when I played that game, uh, my dad had died of cancer like two years earlier and I, it's not, I was a Christian still am didn't, not that I didn't believe in miracles, but I knew for a fact they didn't happen all the time or very often and necessarily if you were doing the right things and all of that stuff. And I remember being 
here's what I want to say. Empathy goes the other way too. And, and it felt clear to me that this was a game that had empathy for people like me or in way worse situations than me. Because, because you had experienced it, the way that you all were transparent about the failures, not just of the physical world in terms of Joel's death, but also, like, I, in my brain, I have stuck in my brain scenes where you and Ryan are fighting each, with each other. Ryan! Oh, Ryan, get in the boat. <laughs> I can't. You have to, you'll drown. We're already drowning. How can you sit there like that? Despair doesn't help anything. <laughs> Neither does false hope. And I'm not despairing. And that really impacted me because that's the stuff good Christian couples don't talk about. That's they're not upfront about that. Those kinds of fights and that that tension you must have felt in the in the game making process. I'm sure you guys had yelling fights about it. You know? And they're sort of represented in the game in a way that that just it, it just made it okay to talk about and to, to be to experience personally, you know. How can you say false hope? You're drowning! Well you're missing your oars! And you don't even know where you're going. And yet you're so sure you're gonna get there. It's better than drowning. Well, enjoy floating on the surface like you always do. There's nothing deep about drowning. Just get in the boat. You have to let me feel this. Someone has to. That's not fair. I love him as much as you do. I just really believe we're going to be okay. I don't remember now who was using this term, but this idea of empathy games, right? And the assumption was you're playing them to empathize with someone else. But I think you guys' game was a little different in, in that it was actually probably more for the player. Not every player, but it felt like uh, the players were were getting a lot from it, just playing it, the ones it was meant for, you know? You know, I hadn't thought about it at all that way until you said it, when you said the mm. game was the miracle. And it, it this mm. everything you've said has made me think that, like, we set out to tell this testimony, that's a very Christian word, um, to tell this testimony of Joel's miraculous healing. And we accidentally told the testimony of like the miracle of gaining empathy for like mm. just a whole, a whole group of people, like uh, gaining empathy for the world. Because if I'm honest, like when I look at what is death has changed in me, it has created empathy in me. And I didn't know mm. it would do that. But I used to be able to read a news story about a kid drowning in a river and go, oh, that's too bad. And now mm -hmm. I read a news story about a kid drowning in a river and I go, that could happen to anyone. That could happen to me. That poor parent, like the day before that happened, they were like anyone else. And now they're on this like hard road of sorrow. Like it just all feels real in a way that it didn't feel yeah. before. And so yeah. <clears throat> I think you're right that like people play it thinking like, oh, it's this empathy machine. But I think you're right that like what happened is it's this journey of transformation of us from people yeah. without much empathy to like just a groundswell of empathy, like more than we know how to process. So I, I think you're right. It kind of oozes out of 
out of the game itself. And I've always been a little bit critical of the term empathy game because yeah. I think sometimes when we try to gamify empathy, we end up doing the opposite. Like the example I always use is if I'm playing a homelessness simulator and you make me the homeless person, then I'm immediately going to try to be the best homeless person I can. And I'll walk uh -huh. away with this message of like, well, if yeah. they just get good, then like maybe they wouldn't be homeless. <laughs> and you just go, that's the wrong message. Like, right. And so I've always said that like empathy and the way I define it, I'm not sure these are accurate definitions that the empathy feels like I'm trying to imagine what it's like for you. And I think... I think compassion says, I'll come alongside you and I'll walk with you through this thing. Mm -hmm. And so I think one of the things that we we tried to do at certain points in our game was just have you be a witness, a person that was coming along with us on the journey. You weren't always playing as, you were almost never playing as Joel here and there. Maybe you weren't typically playing as Ryan or I, you were usually an observer somewhere in the, in the situation. Um, so I think we have to be careful. Like, I think the idea of trying to engineer empathy through games yeah. can be dangerous. Yeah. But I think that if the game itself is is creating empathy in the developers, then it probably is, mm -hmm. is kind of helping build that compassion just through the experience. Like someone once told me, like, you don't have to worry about putting a message in your, ga in your game or your book or whatever you're working on, because who you are will naturally come through it without you having to try. Yeah. Um, and that was an important thing for me to learn because I'm the kind of person that I think leans toward wanting to like, oh, I've got to make sure this part is really clear and I've got to make mm -hmm. sure there's a message. And I think that's one of the things that making that game has helped us move away from is just once Joel died, that all had to go out the window. And we realized that making right. something without a lot of answers was was what we really needed to be making. You talked about like your unawareness that this could be done before. I mean, had you played any games before this that had made you like feel that deeply or that made had given you any inkling that this could be done? I really hadn't, you know? Yeah. So I remember after after we started making it and Ryan was talking to me about other games, I remember watching him play Papo and Yo. Um, so he and my boys mm. were playing it and I sat and watched and played it. And that was so moving and I was amazed because in many ways it, it's way more gamey than what we were building. It's, right. it's puzzles and you can just get into the like, yeah, I'm mastering this puzzle. But then as you think it was, and it's one of those games that you could play without ever knowing the metaphor behind it. So for yeah. people who aren't familiar with it, um, the game was inspired by the developer's dad being an alcoholic. And um, so there's just this metaphor that runs through it. And you wouldn't have to know the metaphor to play the game. But once you do, it's amazing how it changes how you like perceive everything that's happening. So that was very emotionally moving to me and and really opened my eyes. And I thought it was so artfully done. And so I, th I thought it was done with such sophistication. Like it was something I kind of just sat back in awe of because I was like, ooh, what we're making is not that sophisticated. It's kind of raw. Like, mm. um, and, and I think that's the thing about that dragon cancer is I wouldn't say it's so perfectly designed. It's kind of just a very raw experience. And so I get impressed by by the games that like, are able to convey that same level of emotion in a very refined and, and kind of delicate hands-off sort of way. I, I think it's sophisticated in a different way in that it's definitely raw emotion, but a lot of that emotion is joy. And that's something that people miss, I think, about the game, probably because of the framing and the title and all of that. But like, it's, it's easy to miss that like a lot of the game is just joy and hope and even hope after, you know, things go badly, I think. 
I love when people say it always it still surprises me when people say that but I love that they say it because that's what our life was and that was mm. always hard to describe to people that yeah. that it was it was joy it was so much joy and it was it was loving more intensely than I'd ever loved because because of the preciousness of of life and recognizing that we could lose it and so just that like paying attention to every little detail and and pulling every last bit of joy out of out of that season of life and so I'm glad that that was infused in the game. It's one of those things where I couldn't necessarily tell you yeah. why, but I'm glad because we wanted we wanted it to be about hope, and we weren't yeah. sure it could be. So, there, like you said, there are a lot of people who refused to play the game. Some people didn't understand it. Some people just felt it was too close to home, or that they didn't want to be bummed out by the game. Do you ever wonder if maybe they're right? Like it, maybe they shouldn't play the game. Maybe other people shouldn't play the game. You know, do you ever wonder about that? We always think there are people who shouldn't. Um, yeah. So I think that it's for some people and it's mm -hmm. not for other people. Um, yeah. Sometimes there are people with kids who actively have cancer and they want to play. And, and we always think, no, like, please don't play this game because your kid may have a totally different journey. And like, yeah. don't, don't jump to our conclusions. Like, live right. live out your own thing and have your own hope and and i don't know so there there are people like i tend to think this is kind of a strange thing to say but i think that there are people who naturally empathize like that's their natural state is they very quickly empathize with other people's feelings and emotions and and maybe this experience is actually too much for them and they mm. really shouldn't engage with it i think yeah. there are people who intentionally kind of push things a little bit, keep it at arm's length into a distance. And, and maybe it's a better experience for them because it's a way to access that without having to like live it. I don't know. I, I guess I think about how often if I'm going through something really hard, I will very rarely just like cry and lose it and break down for myself. But if I watch a story about someone going through exactly what I'm going through, I could just like sob and cry Amy. and lose it for them. And, and so I think Amy, it's, we are the same. It's we good are the for same. that. <laughs> yeah. I'm relating so much to this. And, and one of the things that I feel lately is how much, one of the reasons I'm asking these questions is because I'm struggling with the concept of empathy. It's been a long time that we've all been talking about empathy as a culture. And I think we're coming around to a place where maybe we don't always need it or want it. Maybe it's not always exactly the right thing to focus on. And I have been feeling like, I'll just be straight up with you. I had a conversation with my counselor yesterday and I, I was basically just like articulating the degree to which I care so much about what other people are feeling around me. And he said, that must be exhausting. <laughs> and he was doing the classic therapist thing. Like he was just, he was just articulating what I'm saying, but um, he was saying, you should not become a therapist. <laughs> Do not become a therapist. And I thought, yeah, like, isn't that interesting that the therapist, the person who whose job it is to know how to live a an emotionally emotionally healthy life has to have certain certain barriers around empathy. And it did make me wonder, like, if you are feeling that need, as I am maybe, to put up barriers around empathy, and if that's something like that that has guided your 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 next choice of like what you're doing with with games. 
Yeah. Which is like a silly, a kind of a silly thing. I'm sure it has meaning, right? But it's not what, maybe it doesn't feel like an empathy game to me. Sure. You know, from what I've seen. Yes. No, the new game is definitely not an empathy game. Um, <laughs> and empathy, I mean, I think you're right that there are, I think there are limits to what empathy can accomplish. And sometimes I think empathy is dangerous because I think we make a lot of assumptions as we empathize. Like I can mm -hmm. think about your situation and I can imagine how it would feel and that can be overwhelming because what I'm not imagining is the tools you've been given to cope with your situation and yeah. the support system that's around you and the grace that you've been given to walk out your situation and like the resolve and the strength that's welling up inside of you that you didn't know you had. Um, and so we often empathize by thinking of all the big emotions, but we're not thinking about all those things that we're given as people because people are amazingly resilient. Um, uh -huh. We are able to, we are all able to go through much harder things than we ever thought we could. I remember when they first told me that my son had cancer. This, this is a horrible thing. I almost never will say this to people. But I remembered asking them, like, will this require, like, chemotherapy? Will this be an ongoing thing? Will this be surgery? And and they said, oh, almost always it's all of those things. There are very few cancers that are treated with just one thing. And there was a, a split second moment where I thought, I don't know that I can do this. Maybe it's better if he just dies right now because I don't know that I can be a cancer mom and do all mm. of those things. And in the moment, I did not know that I could do it. It felt like mm. it was too much because I think I was imagining all of the hardship that I had right. ever empathized with. And I did not know the strength and the emotional reserve and, and just the grace that I would be given. I didn't know how resilient I would be. So yeah. anyway, <clears throat> I say that to say that sometimes when our empathy is activated too strongly, we actually draw the wrong impressions about people yeah. and about circumstances. And we get overwhelmed about things that maybe the person who's dealing with it isn't actually overwhelmed by. So I think empathy is good when it engages that ability to like step in and help someone to be willing to walk alongside, to, to offer some assistance or to, to support someone. But maybe it's dangerous when we just let it take over and become all the emotions without any action. That's so huge. Because, you know, you talked about feeling empowered playing phase 10 uh, <laughs> of all things. But like that, what you're talking about is a disempowering activity for both parties. The people where you're empathizing for, it sort of actively, in your imagination at least, disempowers them. And then it disempowers you to be able to cope with the feelings that you're you're now feeling secondhand, right? Um and it, and it makes me think of some of those early, I mean, I'm thinking of a game I think of often as a great example of an empathy game, which is um, Papers, Please, which is a game that is meant to show you how hard it is, I think, to be an immigrant or to be a refugee of some kind. I think it does that really well. If I had one criticism, it would be that those people are totally disempowered. I don't know. There's a lot of, you know, it's a nuanced question, but certainly in my mind when I was playing that game, I was thinking their fate is in, and their fate and their emotional state and everything is entirely in my hands. Mm. Right. As the person who's taking, as the person who's at the border, taking the papers and making decisions. And that's kind of the way I feel like it's framed. And so it's, it, it is interesting. Like the, the, your point is that the empathy is bigger than focusing on those big feelings. It's focusing on the ways they cope that people can cope with and often do 
cope with those feelings, I guess. Yeah, because I think maybe as a society, we say the problem is no one has enough empathy. None of us mm-hmm. like understand how hard. And I kind of wonder if that's not the problem. I wonder if the yeah. problem is we have a lot of empathy, but very little understanding of, of how to help and what actually does help. Right. And that if we just keep saying how hard it is, we all just get more overwhelmed with those feelings instead of feeling like like we have steps we can take, you know, to, to help or to, to, to build our own tools or, you know, whatever, whatever that looks like. So that, yeah, yeah, that's my feeling for sure. I I have so many times where I want to reach out and I just don't do anything. Like I just, I have good intentions that go nowhere because my head is swirling with everything. Yeah. So I think empathy is part of the picture, but it cannot be empathy alone left to run wild because that Mm -hmm. just doesn't accomplish as much as we thought it would. But the new game, Airy Man Lives, is it's it is very intentionally light and funny. But even within it, I think there are lessons we learned from making that dragon cancer that have carried over and some that we've had to relearn. So one of the things we learned when we made that dragon cancer was how much we had to kind of pull back the emotional like parts of the game. Mm-hmm. Like we would give someone something and we didn't realize how profoundly it would impact them and we'd go, oh, we need to like pull our punches here and maybe not, mm. not come at things quite so head on. Um, yeah. And we took Airy Man Lives to Pax and um, there's one character in the game, his character arc is that he goes from kind of a gruff criticizing person and, and through the course of the game, you know, he has, he has some changes in his demeanor and how he approaches you. But we, we had a friend who played it and was, had a really difficult time playing the game and and got emotional and got frustrated and and told us like he did not like how critical that character huh. was and it it just shocked me because I you know I thought it was kind of all in good fun like the guy's ribbing with you the guy and I had to stop and think what what might be in that person's background who might that character mm-hmm. remind them of like how might th- you know and so it's just interesting how even in a funny and lighthearted and silly game where the tone is intentionally humorous like you still have to, you, you always, always, always have to consider the player and like what they're bringing into the experience. Cause a game doesn't live by itself. It's, it's that yeah. person in the game that is having an experience. That's when it comes to life and they bring their own story with them. So even the things that I think we're using a light hand on and being funny, if someone brings a story into the game with them that touches on that, well, all those lines of dialogue take on a totally different meaning. So there are times I think when I worry that Airy Man Lives is just too fun. Like it's too silly and it doesn't mean anything and shouldn't it be more serious? And and I think I forget that there are actually a lot of moments in it that really do touch on things that I think have, have real world value. Um, mm-hmm. But just coming out of making something that was so deeply impactful, it, it's easy to kind of gloss over the impact that fun can have. I think fun is important too. And some, I think oftentimes we learn more through play and through fun and through like joking than we, than we do through those like serious meditations. hundred percent. What, what is that the impact that you want this game to have is you just want people to have fun. Is it as simple as that? Um, it's never quite as simple as that. (laughs) Um, I mean, so 80% of me is just like, I just want people to laugh at my jokes. Like that's 80% yeah. of it. But um, no, like there's there's a lot in this game that we we kind of keep pointing to just the value of connection and how how maybe we minimize connection and don't see how much how much it matters. And I think yeah. 
just the world we're in right now, I, I've noticed that especially after the pandemic, I tend to minimize like how much I think connection matters. Like you kind of yes. after a while go, maybe I don't, maybe I don't need all those relationships that same way. Maybe I don't need to know why they said that thing I disagree with. And I can just assume they're a monster and move on with my life, you know, and, and kind of figuring out like, is it worth re-engaging with people and saying, huh, why do you feel that way? And, oh, that's a very different take than I had. And kind of trying not to divide into my own camp, but be willing to like trust people and hear them out about things. And that's what you're exploring with Area Man Lives. We are. We're we're that's cool. We're exploring those moments of connection and moments yeah. that make you feel seen in life. Well, we always end the show with uh are you familiar with the feelings wheel? I am not. So the feelings wheel is a tool therapists use so that people can share how they're feeling. And what it does is it's like it's like a wheel with three tiers and in the middle are seven basic emotions, happy, sad, surprised, bad, fearful, angry, disgusted. And all of those have sub emotions and then another tier that are sub emotions of those. And it's basically just a way of pointing at like I feel this and then of these this and then of these this. There's 82 emotions on this wheel. I'm going to spin it. Oh, okay. And we're going to land on emotion. I want you to tell me a game that makes you feel that way. Oh. So, oh, this is fascinating. So the emotion is furious. What's a game that has made you feel furious? Ooh, okay. A game that has made me feel furious. I would say this. Frustrated is probably a different emotion. Sure, sure. So like that typical like, oh, I can't get past this boss or whatever probably isn't a great example. Okay. But, um, kind of a hot take here. Yeah. I think a game that makes me feel furious is Fortnite. Oh, but because, okay, here's uh -huh. my because. Because I look at that whole genre of games, like you see it in some Minecraft mods and some Roblox mods and Fortnite. And I go, yeah. this is Hunger Games. Like, this is Hunger <laughs> Games. Yeah. But we missed yeah. the point. Like, so the point of Hunger Games was not like, what a glorious, fun battle. We should simulate it. Like, the point yeah. was to say, like, let's hold a mirror up to society and question if we're like... <laughs> If we're yeah. doing it wrong. So sometimes yeah. I watch the way that we like engage with it in this super like hyped up fun. What a cool pastime and go, oh, no, like we're, we're we just accelerated a thing that we were warned about. But maybe it's because I really like like dystopian fiction and I like the way it can hold up a mirror to society and say, yeah. if we're not careful, look what we'll become. And then it makes me furious that we went, could we become that? Let's try. <laughs> so right, right, that's right. what I think of Fortnite is when I watch my kids play, I will sometimes get not that like, I think furious would be like, it would be different if I was playing it. And maybe I'd be like, yeah, I'm going to be the best one. But by watching it and engaging and I go, oh no, no, we missed the point. We're, we're accelerating the dystopian future we were supposed to try to curb but i would yeah. say it's that detachment that maybe makes you feel furious yeah. and that, that actually get i don't know i mean there is an ethical question there right of like but come on there's so many video games that are we're doing horrible things we are we are <laughs> it's just that I, i'm a little book nerd and i love books and i was like yeah. how dare you um yeah. no you're right and so yeah and i'm i but I'm trying to think if I've personally played a game that while playing it, I actively felt furious. But mm -hmm. I think I maybe don't play those 
kinds of games because maybe yeah, I don't love one. that feeling. Um, yeah, who would do that? <laughs> I mean, but so many people do, right? I think yeah. people feel genuine fury sometimes while playing games. I, I, I would love it if a game made you feel the weight of systemic failure or something. And then, you know what I mean? And then you were like, like as furious. Opposed to, as yeah. opposed to just like, oh, I keep losing this game. Like, I think like that's something that would be cool. Maybe the closest thing is something like, you know, you reference like a homeless simulator. I think I played a homeless simulator once that just made it clear it was impossible. You got dead ends every every step of the way mm. and that made me it did not I mean I guess it made me empathize with homeless people but really what it did I, there's a different word you're supposed to use now and I don't remember what it is so I apologize like uh, oh like instead of homeless like yeah. displaced or Dis but I'm not yeah, sure so I think you're right though that there is a better word so apologies I just want to yeah, not use the better word right so th so for displaced people like I guess it helped me empathize empathize but more than anything it made me furious at the system yes right? yes and I think that's yeah no that's Maybe so that's good because I can see that a well-designed game that made you furious about the right things would be so yeah. powerful it would be so powerful I I have wanted to, my husband is not a fan. I have wanted to make a game that allows you to like be a part of a propaganda machine and create disinformation. And your job is to like send out the most like effective disinformation because I uh -huh. felt like, oh wow, like this would help people A, understand how much disinformation is out there. B, like how to kind of analyze and think critically about where they might be receiving propaganda. And C, mm -hmm. like maybe make you really furious about the way that we are all sort of manipulated and toyed with and played with. And my husband was like, you would just create people who were better at making propaganda. <laughs> I was like, no, no, it wouldn't do that. But I love the idea of designing a game intentionally to make someone furious about a system that could be corrected if enough of us were really angry about it. So yeah. I like that idea. I don't know that I've seen it executed really well yet. For Amy, any game design problem is also an ethical problem. To make people feel something is to wield a certain amount of power. And Amy Green insists on wielding that power with both empathy and compassion. And that's something she understands well. Empathy is just a starting point to compassion. For her, if a game doesn't result in people being more apt to come alongside those who are struggling, it might not be worth pursuing at all. Her latest project, Area Man Lives, may at first seem like a distraction from that vision, but really it's an expansion of her empathetic, compassionate approach. Sometimes you need to be assured that you're not alone in your grief. Other times, you just need to come alongside people and connect. is available on Steam, MetaQuest, and other major VR devices. That Dragon Cancer is available on PC, Mac, iOS, and Google Play. Find out more about Numinous Games at NuminousGames.com and more about all the stuff we talked about today in the show notes. 
I'd love to hear from you. What's a game that has made you feel furious? Tweet at us or send a voice memo to me at richard at areacodenetwork.com. If you like this podcast, follow us on Twitter at vidgamefeelings. And of course, rate and review us on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Video Game Feelings is an Area Code production. You can find out more at areacodeaudio.com. It's produced, written, and hosted by me, Richard Clark. Associate producer is Ashley Whitehurst. Our theme music is by Bruce Holtman. This is an Area Code podcast.